But here's what I want to do. I want us to I want us to, to look at it. I want us to do a Bible study on it, and I want us to kind of see it scripturally. Right? <clears throat> um too often people look at church discipline as being something of a particular church. It's just a biblical uh, subject. <clears throat> Uh, when it comes to church discipline, there's always two sides, right? There's one side saying, no, it's too hard, we shouldn't do it. And there's the other side that see the sin and want it done immediately. And it's one of those things that nobody's ever pleased because it's never happening the way people want it to happen. The reality is you only do church discipline when you're really uh, in the place where there's no other option. You're going to give somebody every opportunity you possibly can uh, to turn it around. You're going to talk to them and try and help them. And, and that's what we do, to try and help people. But... <clears throat> Ultimately, there comes a time when church discipline is necessary, and it's necessary for the church to do it. Now, church discipline is not about the law visiting um, itself on the church. Church discipline is a function of the church, right? You know, there's not the law of the church, the hierarchy that actually exercises discipline. It's a function of the church. The members of the church carry out church discipline. It's a serious deal. It's not a light matter at all, but it's an essential deal. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and talk us through this. I'm going to ask you questions. Why should we do church discipline? What's the purpose of church discipline? Anyone going to help us here with with the purpose? Leighton. Okay, for the purity of the church. Why is the purity of the church important? Okay. God says we're supposed to be a pure church. We're the bride of Christ. But realize this, that God can't bless apart from purity. And oftentimes in in this day and age, we see people forgetting about purity and just kind of trying to actually help people and so on. And helping people is essential. But you know what? How can you help people without God? That ultimately, we need to be pure so that we can help people. That's a very loving part to purity, uh, but it's essential. Now, let me ask you another question. How do you reconcile love and church discipline? Not a tough one. By the way, it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul wrote about church discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in the same letter, eight chapters later, he wrote the epic chapter on love. Guess what? He didn't see any contradiction between the two. He didn't, he didn't see a problem between the two. Right? In fact, uh, in order for you to love, you have to actually make decisions that are going to exclude some. That's just the way it is. That is just the way it is. I mean, um, if we don't make the decision to, to discipline at times, what happens is we're forsaking the greater body and we're saying, well, if we're not, we don't care about you, we don't care about purity, we want to help this one. But in the day and age that we live, the church is in trouble. And I don't mean LifeGate. I mean the church, global. It's in trouble. Let me read you <clears throat> something that was a help to me, right? Um <clears throat> As an introduction, right? Whatever happened to discipline, church and otherwise, the Corinthian church fails to exercise discipline in the, on the immoral man to whom Paul is referring. At the same time, Paul accuses the church of being arrogant. How can this be? I can think of one way. To exercise discipline is to acknowledge that you have done all you can and that you have failed. 
If we are thinking clearly as Christians, we realize that there is nothing spiritual which can, we can accomplish. We cannot save anyone. We can only proclaim the message of Christ crucified. We cannot bring about the sanctification of a believer. Once again, we can as faithful stewards do what God has given us to do, but we cannot produce the results. In Paul's words, we may plant or water, but it is God who gives the growth. Always. In our arrogance, we can sometimes convince ourselves that given enough time, we can turn someone from their sin. There's a great deal of emphasis on counseling in our culture and even in the church. There's a place for counsel, but we often give ourselves and our system of counseling too much credit. We don't want to admit failure, and we refuse to take the final step of removing the wicked person from ourselves. Just a little more time, we suppose, and we can correct this person's thinking. Church discipline is based upon the recognition that we have done what we can in the context of the church and that God can... Turn the wayward person to repentance apart from us and apart from our ministry, whether that teaching, that be teaching or helps or exhortation, right? <clears throat> so what's he saying there? He's saying <clears throat> that in our day and age, we want to help people. We want to actually turn them from their sin by talking to them and by, by, by counseling them and by pointing out what's wrong to them. Now, can we do that? Some of you are very discouraged tonight because you found out that you can't that you've tried and you can't, because here's the reality. We have got to understand that every one of us has a free will. I choose what I want to do. You choose what you want to do. And you actually perform based on your choice. Rarely does somebody end up in sin because they needed more information. I'm not sure it ever happens, to be honest with you, because God is, God is kind and loving to us. When we end up in sin, we do so by deliberate choice. Small sin, large sin, it's all the same. We do so by deliberate choice. In other words, we know what's right, but we choose to do what's wrong. Now, we've dealt several, several times we've had to deal with church discipline. And in every time we've dealt with church discipline, and I suppose I get to see more of it than you do, because I've got to deal with the people before it actually comes before the church. And <clears throat> wouldn't be reasonable or fair for me to bring all of it uh, before you having dealt with the people. But here's the reality. Before it actually comes before the church, you've come to the place where that person has clearly made a decision. They have made a decision that they're going to do it. I mean, they, knew, they knew to start off what they were making a decision to do wrong. But... <clears throat> They've made a decision to do it anyway. And what you do in, in talking to them ahead of time is you make them, help them to understand how wrong it is. And effectively they will say to you, I know, but I'm doing it anyway. Now, counseling is not what's needed there. The fear of the Lord is what's needed. Because if we fear God properly, I'm telling you what, we're not going to actually um, <clears throat> uh, do something that grieves Him. Counseling doesn't help at that point. And we have to understand that, that we, can't, we can counsel people, we can help them, we can inform them, but they have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You hear the Word of God preached regularly. You make a choice whether you're going to obey it or not. But it's a choice. It's not, oh, poor soul, they didn't know any better. No, it's not. That's not what happens. People make Choices and choices plot paths and lives and end up with them with them caught in things. All right, now let me continue on. Um, the church has has unconsciously begun to think of itself as a support group. There are no doubt some senses in which we do function as a support group. I mean, do we function as a support group? Yeah. 
right? Are we there to help people and, and instruct them and to lead them along and to disciple them and to lead people to the Lord? Yeah, definitely. Is that our primary function, though? Now, when I ask that question, you see, you, you're going to say, um, I'm not sure. And you know what? We're not sure in this day and age. It's not our primary function. Our primary function is to please God. Now, I suppose off the top of my head, nine out of ten churches don't see it that way anymore. Nine out of ten churches see themselves as being for the purpose of helping people. That's what they see themselves as. Now, that kind of a church is a very comfortable place to be if you're in sin. Because everybody wants to help you. And the church is, 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 is geared towards helping you. But you know what? Should you be comfortable in church if you're in sin? Should you be happy in church if you're in sin? Something wrong, isn't there? Listen, for, on the rare occasion, we've had somebody who's come to church and um, been unsaved and come for maybe quite a while and been unsaved. And, and I get the feeling like, what's wrong with me if that person can come and sit in the church and they're unsaved and um, <clears throat> they're not getting convicted? Now, the same ought to be true about sin. Right? Now, think it through with me here. So, you come to church, and you're in sin, and you get convicted. What, what happens for you then? Listen, you, you see your sin. You get nailed with your sin when you come to church. And by the way, the preacher doesn't know what your sin is. The Holy Spirit does, though. And it's amazing how he's actually able to take and, uh, and, uh, and nail you with it. So you come to church, and your sin gets nailed. What do you do? Pardon? Admit it. Right? That's one, one thing you can do. You can admit, you can say, yeah, it's wrong. You admit it, and you confess it. Now, confession is this. Confession and repentance are this. It's basically you coming down on God's side of it. What you, what you do is you agree with God about your sin. Now, God hates your sin. Now, you have a problem agreeing with God about your sin. We all do. And the reason is because we kind of like ourselves and we're sympathetic to ourselves. And, you know, when we look at our sin, we want to say, ah, but I'm only human. Nobody's perfect. And we, we, we want to be soft and nice on ourselves. But repentance is I come down on God's side of it. I hate it like you do, God. It's wicked. I hate it. It's vile. I don't want anything to do with it. Right, that we actually hate our sin that we want nothing to do with. That's what repentance is. Right? Now, <clears throat> that's the first thing you can do. It's a great thing to do. I mean, repentance will cost you. Um, repentance will have you in, in tears. But you know what? You'll rise up the other side of repentance and you'll fly. It's always the best way. It looks like you're going to die, but you don't die. You, know, you don't die from repentance. You know? <clears throat> What's the other thing you can do? You can come in, you can, you can admit it, and you can repent it. Uh, what else can you do? Deny it. What happens then? Follow through. What happens then? See? Okay, going to bigger sin. Right. Well, what about the church? What do you think of the church then? Oh, pardon? Starts to irritate you. And the preacher gets to irritate you pretty much too. Now, honestly, listen, I don't preach against anybody's individual sins. I don't know your sins. 
I, <clears throat> I preach whatever the Lord would lay on my heart. But no doubt the Holy Spirit's able to take and, you know, <clears throat> and catch somebody in their sin in the preaching, right? But you don't like the preacher then. You get bent out of shape with the preacher. You get bent out of shape with the church. You get bent out of shape with the standard of the church. You get bent out of shape with it being too high. You want to go somewhere else where it's softer. Now, now think it through. If you're in sin and you get upset because of the preaching of the word and you go somewhere where it's softer, is that a good thing? That's not a good thing. Shame on you and shame on the place that made it softer for you. That's not what God wants. God wants you. God wants you cleansed. God wants you purified. But what happens is, and we've got a bunch of people out there <clears throat> that, have, that have walked out of here and are complaining about the church, but the reality is the church has made them feel bad. And because the church made them feel bad, uh, they're irritated with the church. Now, <clears throat> I, I don't like anybody being irritated with me. Do you, do you like it? I, I don't like people being irritated with me. I really don't. But you know what? If people are in sin and they get irritated with the church, that's probably a good thing. That probably means we're actually hitting something right, not wrong. And yet in our day and age, you get accused of doing wrong because people are not happy with you in their sin. That's a bit crazy. Now, we are social creatures. You, me, the whole lot of us, we're social creatures. And you know what? When you find that kind of stuff going on, it has the ability to shake you. It has the ability to make you second-guess yourself. It has the ability to put you in the place where what you're doing is you're thinking, well, maybe I am wrong. And that's where the church at large has come to today. And you have people who know better. But they're not saying it. And the reason they're not saying it is because you'd be shot down. You'd be shot down. You dare not talk about homosexuality today in a negative slant. You're afraid to. Because you'd be shot down. And you see, <clears throat> that's what happens. Morality, you get shot down. It's immoral to talk about morality now. <clears throat> that, that's the way our society is. You know, it, it's, it's actually immoral when you actually say, no, that's wrong. <clears throat> and we've got to understand as a church, we have a purpose. And from that purpose, all our other purposes flow. That central core purpose actually fuels all our other purpose. What's our central core purpose? What's to glorify God? To glorify God. Right, let me put it in real simple layman's terms. Make God happy. Our purpose is to keep ourselves in such a way that God looks down and he smiles because he's happy with what he sees here. And I, th I think that's the most important thing in the world. That God should be able to look at your life and be happy. And I don't mean just because I want blessings and gifts from him. I do. I want all the blessings and gifts God has for me, right? But I want to make him happy. I think this world, from God's perspective, is a dreadful place. He hates sin. He hates everything to do with sin. I think there ought to be places, there ought to be homes, there ought to be churches, there ought to be lives where he looks down and he's happy. 
And that's our prime function. He said, well, okay, well, listen, you can have a holy church, but this is 2013, and I'm telling you what, nobody's going to get helped. Rubbish. Jesus said this, without me ye can do nothing. All the psychologists and psychiatrists out there can't help people. And the church can't fall into the same model and think it's going to help people. If we're going to help people, it's going to be supernatural. If we're going to be help people, it's going to be heaven touching earth and doing something and changing things. <clears throat> Let me read on for you here. The therapeutic movement within Christianity has propagated a term which, to my knowledge, is never found in the Bible. Those who frequently employ this term advocate a practice which is antithetical to the duty of exercising church discipline. The term is unconditional acceptance or unconditional love. Now, hang on. Hold a minute. Unconditional acceptance or unconditional love? Isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Unconditional acceptance, unconditional love? Find it in the Bible. Find it in the Bible. If you're going to interpret unconditional acceptance and unconditional love in the sense that we never do discipline, that we never rebuke, you're not going to find it in the, in the Bible. Does God love me? Does he love me always? Does he love me when I'm doing wrong? Does he? But God loves me when I'm doing wrong. Does he treat me the same when I'm doing wrong as when I'm doing right? No. Not hardly. When I'm doing wrong, God deals with me. Now, he loves me. He doesn't stop loving me. But he deals with me. He's not going to accept going my own way and doing my own thing. That's where chastening comes in. That's where a loving Heavenly Father steps in and redirects your life. Right? <clears throat> but he still loves. Listen, a parent loving a child. Right? <clears throat> now, we're, we're, we're talking about parents. We're talking about good parents. We're talking about the right kind of a parent. Right? <clears throat> we're not talking about somebody abusing their child. When a parent takes the paddle, whatever, the rod, whatever you want to call it, and deals with their child. And by the way, do you realize in the day and age, half of you are afraid to even go there in your heads? The day and age that we live in, that's kind of barbaric. We shouldn't do it. That's all through the Bible. Right? The Bible is very clear on it. It's all through the Bible. Not abuse. It's the idea of correcting a child when they're wrong. What does the Bible say about your correcting your child through, through um, <clears throat> physical punishment? What does it say? Spare the rod and spoil the, spoil the child. He that loveth his son chasteneth him betimes. You see, here's the thing. You taking the care to take care of your children is an evidence of love. Now, do you know that though our society and our psychology and psychiatrists and all the rest of it, listen, they don't know this, but do you know the kids know this? You show me a child that's dealt with properly, not with hatred and anger, but when they do wrong, you know what? <clears throat> they get dealt with. And you know what? They're the most, most secure, happy kids on the planet. I mean, I, it amazes me with Ori's kids. Because as a grandparent, I can kind of stand back and I can watch what he's doing, and it just amazes me, right? <clears throat> somebody gets out of line, you know? Um, somebody has a tantrum, pitches a fit, and, uh, and does something, and he takes them off, and they get dealt with. Okay? Five minutes later, the child falls down and gets hurt. 
And do you know who they turn to for comfort? Daddy who's just spanked them. You know what? Kids interpret it as love. Kids interpret, this is the one I can depend upon. This is the one I can look to. Right? It's a sign of love. It's not a sign of hatred. Don't interpret it as a sign of hatred. When it comes to the church, it's a sign of love. Now, you're going to say to me, well, well, pastor, you know what? <clears throat> sign of love it may be, but I've never seen somebody turn around from it. That's not fair to say that we've never seen somebody turn around, but I suppose rarely do we see somebody turn around from it. So how, come, how can it be love for them? Well, it is love because it's showing them the reality of God. But you know what? It's love for all the others. Let me, um, <clears throat> let me show you an Old Testament passage. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll look at this Old Testament passage. Right? It's Deuteronomy 21. That's a word of prayer before we look at it. Father in heaven, would you bless us now tonight, Lord? Bless your word to us. Lord, do a deep work in hearts and lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Deuteronomy 21. Verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that... When they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of the city, unto the gate of the place of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put away evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. All right, now, I am not advocating you do this, all right? <clears throat> Some of you might have thought, listen, that's, by the way, I read a, I read a really neat story. There was uh, this prison ministry, and um, one of the guys in the prison ministry was treating one of the lady volunteers in a, in a bad way. This is in prison, right? And um, new believers, a whole bunch of new believers in prison, right? And the guys got together, and they decided that, listen, since what he was doing was so wrong, they should kill him. <laughs> and they were going to kill this guy for, treat, for treating her wrong. Somebody was able to prevail upon them and, and tell them that's not the way it's done, right? Now, I'm not out of that you kill your kids because they, they do wrong. Right? That's obviously not what we're talking about. You don't have uh, the legal right to do that in our nation. In Israel, you did. Because God was the king, effectively, and God was the law. And that's, that's what they were supposed to do. Right? <clears throat> now, so we don't, want, we don't do that. Now, but what does this tell us about God? Okay. He doesn't like sin. What does it tell about? What does, does this express anything of, God, of God's heart to us? Or is that just old God? No, this is God. This is God's heart towards sin. This is God's heart towards rebellion. By the way, if we saw it that serious, that would help us a whole lot. Right? Now, so the kid's rebellious. He's standing against everything. He's fighting against everything. He's taken out and he's stoned. Doesn't seem very loving, does it? But understand what the purpose of it was. Right? <clears throat> See the purpose there? Um, <clears throat> in verse 21. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. You know what? <clears throat> the purpose of it was 
to make everybody understand sin's not acceptable, rebellion's not acceptable. So you live in a society where sin and rebellion can cost you your life. You think twice about sin and rebellion. Now we're living in very strange days. We're living in days when, you know, <clears throat> it's difficult for our society to control its children, and that's the death knell of a society. <clears throat> but understand, the heart of God, and again, I'm not saying that's what you're supposed to do, but the heart of God is this is how you, de you deal with it severely. And understand, that's the way God deals with things. But he doesn't deal with them because he does love. He deals with them because he loves. And you see, when you accept sin here and say, it's okay, ah, don't worry about it, it's fine, it's fine. What you do is you hurt everybody else. You make it okay. So God says, no, deal with it. It's got to be dealt with. It's got to be removed for the purity of the church. It's got to be dealt with. Right? <clears throat> so here's what I'm saying to you. This idea of unconditional love in the sense that we never ruffle anybody's feathers is not in the Bible at all. That's not the kind of love 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is talking about. Because if it is, then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is contradicting himself later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So understand that, that we have got to draw our definition of love from the Bible, from the Word of God. And love means, first of all, I'm going to love God, so I'm going to obey Him. Even if everybody else is upset with me, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to, I'm going to obey Him, I'm going to please Him, that's love. I'm going to love others too. But I'm not going to focus my love so much on one that I neglect to love the greater number. Right? That's not inconsistent with love at all. All right. Um, <clears throat> the assumption that we must love one another, one another unconditionally, there is a sense in which that is true, of course, but we are not to love others unconditionally in terms of the way they wish to define love. To exercise discipline on a wayward saint is to love that person and to seek their highest good. To unconditionally accept that person is to, is to never refuse to have fellowship with them, thinking <clears throat> which directly opposes Paul's teaching in our text. Pop psychology and pop theology must never set aside biblical commands. Paul's words to the Corinthians in chapter 5 end with a clear command. When called for, we will either obey this command or we will sin. What has happened to church discipline? I've seen very little of it. Even when such discipline is taken, all too many church members are tempted to second-guess the church and to privately continue fellowship with one, uh, the one under discipline. This is a most serious matter. For if I understand the scriptures correctly, to do so is to become a partner with the person uh, in his or her sin. So that when somebody is church disciplined, and we're going to look at this all uh, from the Bible, what happens is we put them outside and we don't have fellowship with them. You say, but pastor, that's not nice. That's what the Word of God commands. That's what church purity demands. But understand this, that <clears throat> discipline is something that's exercised by a church. But do you know what happens in our day and age? The church exercises discipline, and somebody says, well, I don't agree with what the church says. And so we do our own thing. And what that does is that destroys the unity of the church. The church has got to act as a body. It's got to act as a body and be unified. 
Right? It's gonna because here's what happens. What happens is you have the disciplined person thinking, well, you know what? It's just the hierarchy, the law that are against me. Everybody else thinks I'm okay. You've just completely removed the help discipline could be to the person. Because now they have a focus for it. It's not the church. It's not the representative of God demonstrating this is right and this is wrong and this is what you need to do. Right? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's our intro. Now, let me say this too. I'm much more interested in getting our thinking online on this than I am in just preparing us to deal with discipline. I think the discipline we've got to deal with is very, is very straightforward. But I'm much more interested in getting our thinking online. So I want you to ask me questions. I want us to talk back and forth about it. I want us to see it from the scripture, right? I want us to see it and to understand it. I think all of us agree tonight. Listen, if the word of God says it, that's it. But fuzzy thinking interprets the word of God for us and ruins us. So we need to think clearly. We need to think biblically. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named amongst the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. All right, so some guy uh, in the church <clears throat> was living with or married to, we don't know, uh, his father's wife. We don't even know whether the father was alive or dead. We don't know any of that. Uh, but it was just wrong. Right? Now, understand, Corinth... <clears throat> is a place where a lot of things were wrong. Corinth is a wicked place. You know, uh, the gospel came to Corinth and people got saved and, um, you know, it was, it was a wicked, wicked, it was more wicked than our day and ages. Sometimes we look back at the, you know, the, the scriptures and we think in the old days everything was holy and good. No, I'm telling you what, in the old days in Corinth everything was wicked and bad. Right? You had a thousand temple prostitutes. Part of your worship was to sleep with the temple prostitutes. Part of a lady's worship was to actually become a prostitute for an occasion. I mean, it was a wicked place. It was just, it was just twisted and wicked. Now, what's interesting for Paul is that Paul, first of all, doesn't come in and say, you're not saved, none of you are saved, you're all wicked. He comes in and he deals with them. Nor does he say, but you're from Corinth, so bless your hearts, that's as good as you can get. He comes in and he nails it to the floor and he says, listen, book up. I don't care what your society is like. I don't care how, how the society around you looks. Listen, deal with your sin. Get over it. And we need to understand that, that in our day and age, there's not two classes of people, people who've been in the world and people who've been born with a Christian silver spoon in their mouth. It's amazing how often people will say to you, well, I wasn't raised a Christian. Well, I wasn't raised a Christian either. I don't know many people here in this room that were raised Christians. Right? <clears throat> That's totally irrelevant. Right? If I'm saying I wasn't raised with Christianity is not something that's cultural that you get over the years. Christianity is something that's dynamically powerful because the Spirit of God is the driving force behind it. Which means you can come out of the cesspits of the world, get saved, look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, and become like Him. That's, that's what it's about. It's not about, you know, oh, well, you know what, you've been down pretty low, therefore, you know, listen, there's, there's no way you could be expected to come up. Christianity is about us laying hold upon God and God doing a work so deep in our lives that, listen, he shakes the world out of us and people look at us and they say, what? I don't believe you were like that. that that's what Christianity is about. 
we, we need to <clears throat> debunk the fuzzy thinking in our heads that say, well, from, you know where I started. Where you started has got nothing to do with where you're going to end. Because you've got nothing to do with it. It's the power of the Spirit of God. And all you've got to do is obey and yield. And He'll take you there. So that you should effectively get so holy that people don't believe your past life. <clears throat> so don't allow yourself in the place where you, know, where you can think, where you're thinking, well, that's just the best I can do, right? Uh, <clears throat> look at verse 5 again. He says, it is reported commonly, and what it was, it was common knowledge. Everybody knew this. Now, Paul's not in Corinth. I forget where he is at this point, but he's not in Corinth. Uh, he's writing to them, and he's given out to them. He's given off to them about a sin he knows is there that they're not dealing with. Because it's reported commonly. What does the world say today? Or the, the church say today? Oh, judge not. You weren't there. You don't know. Paul never heard that one. Paul didn't go that one. Paul, Paul would say, hey, listen, this is wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong. You're doing it. Fix it. Get it right. No messing around with Paul here. No, <clears throat> you know, no, no soft side to Paul here. This is wicked. It's wrong. Deal with it. Get it straightened out. Right? <clears throat> and he's talking about fornication. Now, by the way, <clears throat> it's interesting. He's dealing with this one sin, but five and six come together. And chapter 6 deals with immorality right across the board. He's taking one issue, but it's not the only issue. You know, we don't do church discipline just for people who live with their father's wives. Right? <clears throat> There's a whole bunch of other reasons that he's going to give us. But he's nailing this issue and telling them he wants it dealt with right away. And he's really upset with them over it. And by the way, watch as we read who he's upset with. He's not railing on the guy that's doing the sin. He's actually railing on the church for not dealing with the sin. You know, he hardly mentions the guy as far as the guy. He says, deal with it. Put him outside. But his real issue that he's taken is with the church. Look at verse 2. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. You're puffed up. You're proud. You're proud of where you stand. Now, do you know churches like that today? And they're kind of proud of their tolerance. They're proud of their love, but love in that case means tolerance, that they don't deal with sin. They're, they're proud because they operate on grace. <clears throat> and grace is interpreted to be licensed. You can do whatever you like and nobody's going to say anything to you. The Apostle Paul wouldn't have had to do with that. He'd be upset with that kind of thinking. Um, he says, you're puffed up, you're proud, and you haven't rather, you should be crying because of the sin in your midst. You should be mourning over it. Primarily um, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already. So don't tell me, don't judge anybody. You're supposed to judge. There are times when you're supposed to be, this was Commonly reported, it was common knowledge, everybody knew it. Paul said, it's wrong, deal with it. This idea of, well, we don't judge. Listen, I can't judge your motives and you can't judge my, motive, my motives. But you know what? I can judge your actions. And you can judge my actions. Can't you? 
Now you can't judge members. It's kind of hard to, to discern between sometimes your actions and your motives. <clears throat> but when somebody does wrong, it's wrong. Listen, if somebody goes drinking, we don't have to debate why they go drinking, do they? They went drinking. They put the alcohol in their mouth. It was wrong. It's a problem. We don't have to kind of get, get, get all, <clears throat> you know, uh, introspective about why they went drinking. We don't care why they went drinking. Because, well, they had a very bad day. Well, listen, I'm really sorry they had a very bad day, but it was still wrong. And they can repent of it and get it right, but it was wrong. Understand that? We're, what we're not doing is, we're not looking at this thing and saying, you know, listen, we can't judge. I've heard people make incredible say, were, were you there? But if you weren't there, you can't judge. Listen, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah, we, here's what we got to do. We got to have some backbone. We got to have some backbone in the sense that we look at stuff and we say, well, listen, that's wrong. Now, there's no point in you privately saying it to your wife when you're at home because you know she's on your rah-rah team and she's going to say yes to you. You've got to say it where it counts. You've got to say it to the people that are involved in it. All right, let's diverge here from Corinthians and look at Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> Brethren, verse 1, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Right? <clears throat> now, here's the deal. Somebody's, somebody's overtaken in a fault. All right? let's, let's, let's use the man's home as an example. Right? Sorry, guys, I'm going to use you as an example. Right? Somebody up in the man's home is smoking. Now, Leighton knows nothing about it. Al knows nothing about it. Jimmy knows nothing about it. Right, because they know better than to smoke in front of them, because they'd really get in, get in hot water. But somebody's up there smoking, right? So they're smoking. You know, every every chance they have, they're smoking. Everybody else knows about it, right? <clears throat> Except the leadership. What should happen in that case? What's supposed to happen there? I'll ask you guys, what's supposed to happen there? Let me put you on the spot here. What's supposed to happen there? You know, somebody's smoking, somebody's doing wrong, and, um, <clears throat> you know, the authorities know nothing about it. Uh, <clears throat> you, you never squeal on your mates, do you? Is that the rule that applies here? Because you're in prison, and you have three prison warders, and you never want to, you never want to actually admit anything that's going to get to the prison warders. What do you do? What are you supposed to do? Nothing. Just because it's not my business, not my problem. No. If you're spiritual, you're supposed to restore that person in the spirit of meekness. What do you do? You go alongside and say, listen, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. Listen, this is defeating the reason you're in here. You need to get this straightened out. And if you, don't, you need to go to authority and get help, but you can't continue to do this. Let me ask you, is that the loving thing to do? Is the person going to actually respond like it's the loving thing all the time? No. You see, it takes backbone to love people. It takes backbone 
you've got to actually say, this is wrong. All right, so let's leave the lads alone for a second, right? Um, Let's go to the rest of us. Um, You you spend some time with somebody who's a gossip. And there's those people that just love to gossip, don't they? And they don't even see it as gossip because they just do it all the time. But you spend time with somebody who's a gossip and listen, and they start, listen, they start ripping into stuff and, and telling you stuff you've no interest in, no way of knowing, and, and going after stuff and, and laying out stuff, and you just go, and you say nothing. Is that love? Is it not love for you to say, hold on a minute, that's wrong. You shouldn't be talking like that. If you have a problem with somebody, go talk to them, but don't be spewing gossip and venom like that. Now, are they going to be happy? Are they going to feel very loved? No, maybe. But ultimately, it's the most loving thing for them. What about somebody's bitter? Somebody's bitter against somebody, and man, they have it, <clears throat> and they can, they, they're kind of going after it and after it and after it, and they're telling you how bitter, bitter they are. What's going to happen when somebody's bitter? Pardon? It's what? Become a scorner, okay? What happens when somebody's bitter? And they're going after. What does the Bible say happens when somebody's bitter? It contaminates people. It'll contaminate you. Always. I mean always. Yeah, it's going to affect you. Right? But, and I mean, so, so you know, listen, you're not so big and so bold and so strong that you can handle it. None of us are. Right? So it's definitely going to contaminate you, right? <clears throat> now, what about the person who's being bitter? What's it doing to them? Say, <clears throat> you come to my house and I'm upset with somebody and I sit you down and I make you a cup of tea and I listen, I start going after that person. I tell you all the things they did to me and you know how bad they were to me and you know how rotten and mean they were to me and all the rest of it. And you just say, hmm, hmm, hmm. What do I say when I'm leaving? Well, he agrees with me. He agrees with, he agrees with everything I said. And you say, no, but I didn't. But you didn't say anything. And because you didn't say anything, you gave the impression that you did. And you know what? You didn't help the person. Because you effectively told them, listen, I understand why you're bitter. Anybody be bitter if that can happen to them. Now, what are the biblical grounds when it's okay to be bitter? Okay, well, that wouldn't be bitter. It'd be, be right for you to say something then. Well, are there any biblical grounds no. for bitterness? No. no. Never. You mean no matter what somebody does on me, I can't be bitter? Is that right? I, I have no right to be bitter? Well, let me give you an example. What about somebody who spent their whole life doing good? Healed, fed, gave sight to the blind, showed immense compassion on people that hated him, was taken in a kangaroo court, tried three times, found innocent and crucified anyway. He had reason to be bitter, hadn't he? 
No, he didn't. Wouldn't get better. None of us have been there. We have no reason for being bitter. He said, Pastor, I, I understand bad things happen to you all the time. This is the world. But you have no right to be bitter. None. It's wrong. And let me say this to you too. Bitterness is the door to all kinds of sin. Esau sold his birthright, Hebrews 12 says. Why? Because he was bitter. He was bitter. He became a profane man. He became a man that was pushed away by God because he was bitter. When you get bitter, you open the door to all kinds of sin in your life. You let, you let all kinds of things into your life. You put yourself in the place where, listen, you can do it and it's okay. Love people. Have backbone. Say, this is wrong. We're not doing this. What's the guys in the men's home do? Somebody smoking? This is wrong. You need to go get help. And if you don't go get help, I'll go get you help. That means, by the way, squealing on your friends. You have to, get, you have to get, get out of the mentality that says you never squeal on your friends. Because listen, when somebody's doing wrong, the Bible says, if a man be overtaken in the fault, you would just spiritually restore such a one. Don't get proud about it and think how wonderful you are. It's in a spirit of meekness, but you go and you deal with it. Listen, you know what? There's three workers and some helpers up in the men's home. They're never going to catch everything. Not a chance. But if you guys get going, what will happen is the men's home will fly. I think we could safely say late in the time we've had a best men's home is when we've had guys that were saying, we're not putting up with this. What about the church? See, because the men's home is a microcosm of the family, and the church is a, another picture of the family. What about the church? Do we operate the same way in the church? Do we actually say, no, this is wrong. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. This is wrong. This is, you're going to do this. You're doing it on your own, buddy, because I'm not getting involved, and I don't think you're right, and I don't think you're bidding. This is right now. You know, listen, you can be nice, you can be kind, you can help somebody, but if you say nothing, you just shot them. Because you agree with them. See how this thing works? See, if we want a holy and pure church, we have to love, but it's not the love the world talks about. It's a different kind of love. Let me give you the definition of the word agape. It's a delight in and a desire for the well-being of the one loved. Right? The well-being of the one loved. I want the other person's well-being. I want the other person to be blessed. I want the other person to do well. I delight in that. I want, them, I want things to go well for them. You know what? If I delight in the well-being of somebody and I put up with their bitterness and let them just think I, 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 I agree with it, I don't really care about them. But if I say, brother, this is wrong. You shouldn't be giving vent to these feelings and you shouldn't be allowing yourself to feel them. You've got to deal with your bitterness. He may not feel loved, but that's love. Because then I'm helping him. 
see, it's a different kind of a thing. You see, <clears throat> Bob says, you're the light of the world. What does light do? It shows up the darkness. If we're going to be light, we're going to have to show up the darkness. We're going to, we're going to have to call a spade a spade, say it's wrong. And you say, but I don't want to be people upset with me. That's because you don't love them. Right? <clears throat> Bob says if you won't deal with your child, it's because you don't love them. Right? <clears throat> Listen, when it comes to church discipline, if we won't do church discipline, we just want everybody to be happy, man. And let's, just, let's just have as many people as we can come to church and let's all just be happy. We don't love them. We've got to come to the place where we say, no, this is right. This is the standard where we need to stand. And not because it's kind of, you know, what we like. It's because this is what the Bible says. This is the truth. And we expect you to stand there. Now, is there, is there a place where people come in, you know, and you know, their lives are a wreck in the room, and we give them opportunity to get their lives straightened out, and we help them, and, and, and we extend lots of time and energy and grace? And, and it, yeah, there is. That's, that's definitely real. In fact, if anyone's willing to really repent... We'll work with them. Doesn't matter how many times they fall, if they're willing to really repent and say, listen, it was wrong, I shouldn't have done it, and get, a, get, get it right, we'll work with them. But there comes a point when we've got to say, no, listen, what you're doing is wrong, and we've got to underline it for you. You can't do this. Because, you know, our thinking can get so crazy that we think God's okay with sin. God's okay with my sin. He understands. Now, you understand your sin. God doesn't. God gave you his Holy Spirit to enable you to defeat sin in your life. He doesn't understand sin. He's not taking it. He's not accepting it. All right, look. <clears throat> it's only five past eight. We've got a lot of other stuff to do tonight. But I, I, I'm trying to help your thinking here. So you help me help your thinking. Right? You, you, if you've got a question, ask it. You may say, ah, hang on a minute. I'm not going to ask it. Everybody's going to be down my throat. You're going to be down my throat. I'm not going to be down your throat. I'm going to help you think it. If you've got a question, ask it. Because uh, I want us to think through this stuff and come through the other end of it. Because the, the reason I'm doing it is because there's an onslaught upon right thinking in our day and age. I mean an onslaught. We're getting killed for right thinking. Okay, Any, anybody got, got a question or thought or comment or something that you, <coughs> that you want to throw up here? Farina. Yes. Well, no. Because he's, if you look in First Corinthians chapter five, right? And if help doesn't, and you see, Paul Paul brings it down all the way, and he he, he gives us the rule. Um. <clears throat> Look at verse 9. Now, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. 
Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. And you see, here's the thing. We're called to minister to the world. They're going to have all kinds of sin in their lives. And we're, we're supposed to reach out to them. We're supposed to work with them. We're called to minister to them, right? We're supposed to be salt and light to them. We're supposed to <clears throat> go after them. So, you know, when it comes to the world, we're supposed to deal with them, right? But look what it says. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. What he's saying there is, listen, uh, if you've got somebody who's called a Christian, right? they call themselves a Christian and they're living like that, he says, don't eat with them. Now, eating is the symbol of fellowship. Not nothing to do with you. Your life's all wrong. Not going to spend time with you unless you get it, unless you get it right. Otherwise, you're accepting it. And you see, here's the thing. You know, we, we look at church membership and we discipline people out of membership, right? That's one thing. But, you know, <clears throat> if they don't get disciplined but, but they're living wrong, are they okay? No. You see, it's the same, it has the same impact on us. <clears throat> We're supposed to deal with it. And um, <clears throat> he's talking about judging within the church. So here's the deal. You deal with... Christians and you deal with lost people in two totally different ways. And, and let me throw something out to you too. You know, if you end up with a family member who's under church discipline, I mean, the rules are somewhat different there, obviously. Right? <clears throat> but the rule is that when somebody's living wrong, you don't have fellowship with them. That you withdraw from them. That's hard. That's tough stuff. That, that's backbone stuff. But it's important. Right? <clears throat> now, somebody wanders into church next Sunday and they come in and they get saved <clears throat> and they're floundering a bit in their lives. We're going to work with them. We're going to help them. We're going to encourage them and bring them on. But you know what? After a certain point, we're going to say, now listen, you know this now. Why are you still doing this? This is not a question of your ignorance anymore. You should be living right now. You know, we're not going to be a place, you know, where it's kind of um, <clears throat> an A&E, a spiritual A&E, uh, where, where people stay in A&E for half their lives. No, no, no. A&E is for new believers. We take them in, we look after them, we care for them, we, we, we teach them the basics, we set them up, and we expect them to, to go. <clears throat> so, we've got to be careful there. You know, you know, with new believers, we're, we're, we're going to exercise so much care. We'll treat them like babies because that's what they are. But when they're not new believers anymore, we're going to expect, hey, you'd be doing right. Okay? that answer your question, Brina? Okay. All right. Anybody else got a question or a comment here? Christine. Okay. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> See, here's the thing. We're not looking for perfection. 
Let, let's take it to a child, right? We have a child in the home, right? Are we expecting perfection from Aaron? She's asleep, so we can talk about her. No, we're not expecting, uh, you know, perfection from Aaron. Aaron's growing up. She's got a whole lot of stuff that's going on, right? Now, if Aaron wakes up in the morning and takes a glass and fires it at Rebecca, we're going to deal with that. There's different levels of stuff we're dealing with. You know what I mean? We're, you're going to deal with her attitude in one way and you're going to deal with something she does in a different way. There are certain sins, and they're listed for us, that become manifest and damaging to the fellowship. Now, you might say that all sin is, but there are certain sins that really hit the spot and cause trouble. And they've got to be dealt with. And what you've got to do is, you know, <clears throat> we haven't gotten there yet, but a little leaven out of the whole lump, if we let it in, we end up with a problem. Okay, so we'll say Aaron wakes up in the morning and she throws a glass at Rebecca. And you say, now, now, honey, we shouldn't be throwing glasses, and that's it. Right? Well, <clears throat> what has she just learned? Throwing glasses is not a big deal. That's not a big issue. Okay? Now, <clears throat> there are certain things that if we let them in the church and we say, it doesn't matter, it's okay, don't worry about it. We say, oh, oh, it's not a big deal. Let's just, let's just not worry about it. It's okay. It's fine. When God says it's not fine, God says it's an issue. God says it's got to be dealt with. Now, <clears throat> you know, church discipline, I think we've exercised church discipline. On that. <clears throat> my, my memory's not the greatest on these things, but I think four or five times we've exercised church discipline in my, in my 20 years. I think we probably should have exercised it some more. But it's a heavy club. You know, you, you don't want to use a heavy club to, you know, <clears throat> to, to crack a peanut. You know, you don't, you don't want to use the heavy club all the time. But there are certain issues that come up and people won't deal with them and won't repent of them. It has to be used. And I think... It, there, there, there are certain things that are much more damaging than other things. It's kind of like everything in life. You know, listen, you, you might drive your car and, um, you know, one of the brake lights is not working. Well, you know, the policeman's going to give you uh, a ticket, but that's not nearly as serious as if your brakes are not working. You know, there's different levels of things. So it doesn't all, we're, we're not looking at perfection where we're going to make everybody perfect. We get perfect when we get to see, be with Jesus. We're all working towards it. By the way, you ought to be working towards it. I think reason for church discipline would be this, uh, somebody who sat down and said, well, that's as far as I'm going. I think you could make a, make, a, make a reasonable case for church discipline. I'm not growing. I'm not moving forward. I don't want any more. I've just got enough. That's it. I think, I think you could actually make a case for church discipline there. But as long as somebody, and everybody grows at different rates, and they move ahead at different rates, you know, so we're not looking for perfection, but there are certain things that if we tolerate them, what we do is we hurt the work of God. And God tells us what those things are. So uh, we deal with them on that basis. Anybody else, though? <clears throat> yeah, Gary. Pardon? If a crisis comes into their life? Well, here's, here's the thing. Your fellowship with somebody who's, who's under church discipline is limited to you actually saying to them, you need to get this right. 
Now, I mean, does that mean I w- would I go to somebody's funeral who <coughs> who was under somebody, somebody belonged to them died as far as I go to the funeral? Yeah, I, I, I probably would do that, but my fellowship with them would not be, you know what, let's say we're buds. You know, <clears throat> I really feel, feel really sorry. My fellowship with them is changed, it's altered, it's different. I'm not buds with them anymore. That's hard. But I'm not. You know, kind of, it makes a difference between you and them. And the key issue is going to be the difference. You know, so somebody's got a crisis in their lives, and um, <clears throat> I'm going to say, look, you've got a crisis in your life, but look, you've got a bigger crisis in your life. You're not, you're not right with God. Right? But I'm not going to, you know, <clears throat> avoid them in that sense. But when my, my contact with them is not going to be fellowship anymore. I'm not going around to their house to have a cup of tea anymore. Let's put it that way. My contact with them is going to be, listen, we love you. You need to get right. Praying for you. Now, they're not going to want to be around me much if I keep doing that. Either they're going to get right or they're going to say, look, get out of my face. I don't want to, don't want to be around you. Just keep reminding me. You just keep, keep, keep poking your finger at me. But I'm not having fellowship with them anymore. Nothing under discipline. That's just that's just the way it is. Now, that, that's a delicate and a hard balance to keep in your life. But the issue is fellowship. I'm not having fellowship with you now. Right? <clears throat> Sorry, did you have your hand up there, Rolia? That's a good point. That's a good point. You, you, you end up feeling their feelings. Yeah. Now, if you feel their feelings, you know what can happen to you? You go to the same place as they did. Well, when we looked at Galatians, it said, in a spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. That there's a danger uh, that w- w- when you're hanging out with somebody who's um, <clears throat> in sin, there's a danger for you in this that you can very easily get drawn in because it's okay. So you've got to be careful on that one. All right, any, any other questions or thoughts here before? Simon. I suppose in, um, one man's son uh, got put out of the church and another man's son exactly the same. And oh, he had it better. Um, but he had it well? Well, he had it better. Okay. He had it well. Um, and plus he didn't repent of it. Um, what was happening? Yeah. That's something God's got to deal with. If we don't know about it, we can't deal with it. If we know about it, well, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. His prayer life is shot to bits. Right? And it changes. Um, So, you know, it's there. It's affected. And repentance is the key issue. Somebody's got to repent of it. Somebody's got to get it right. Right? And, And deal with it. But apart from that repentance, they won't be seen. By the way, there's... A lot of sin that never needs to go before the church. Matthew chapter 18, you know, somebody's in sin. You go to them and you say, hey, listen, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And they say, oh, you're right, it's wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm, I'm done with it. I'm finished with it. Nobody but you and they ever need to know about it. 
Keep that private. It doesn't need to be known about. Right? Yeah, the reason things go, go public is there's three steps in Matthew 18, right? First step is private. Yeah, confront them privately, one-on-one. Second one is take a witness. Third one is it goes before the church for the church to deal with. Right? Now, the other time it goes public is when the thing becomes public. Anyway, it's commonly reported amongst you. Everybody knows. Then it's already, it's public. You deal with sin on the level that it is. If it's private sin, it can be dealt with privately and done with and dealt with and it's over. Somebody repents of it and deals with it, done, dusted and over. If it's public sin, it's got to be dealt with publicly. That's the hard thing. Right? Does that answer your question? Is that, okay. Um, um, but, but if you know of somebody's sin and you don't confront them with it. Remember, by the way, Matthew 18, we'll look at it next week. Matthew 18, and it's three steps, right? Is you know about it, so you go and deal with them privately. Listen, I saw you doing this. That's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And if you don't deal with that and repent of it, this is going to ultimately go before the church. Do you know that? And they say, well, forget you. No way I'm dealing with it. Who do you think you are? Well, then you go, you take a witness. Now, typically the witness you're going to take is going to be somebody who's got some clout that can bring more to bear on it than you can. And then when they won't hear the witness, the date is sitting that comes before the church. Right? But Matthew 18 does not have to be operated from the pastor. Matthew 18 can get operated within the church. In fact, Matthew 18 should get operated regularly and nobody ever hears about it. Because it gets dealt with at the first stage. It's private. Nobody else knows about it. Right? That's, that's, that's the... <clears throat> and, and if we do that, it's amazing how often it works. It's amazing how often somebody's doing wrong and you say, that's wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. And they go, oh, caught. I better give it up. Right? And it doesn't need to go before the church. Going before the church is only because you won't give it up. Because you won't repent of it and deal with it. And it finally comes before the church. All right, anybody else now? Tom? We'll come back to this next week. Now, <clears throat> it doesn't need to be one of those gut-wrenching things. Nobody here, as far as I know, is under discipline, okay? Right? So listen, don't, we don't be worrying about it. But the good thing about this is, though, what it does is when we look at it like this, it makes all of us, me and to say, oh, man, I'd hate to go there. And that's good. That warning is good for us. Right? <clears throat> so let's stand. And I'm just going to close in prayer because we have this um, <clears throat> workers' meeting. Hannah, you have stuff out there for me, yeah? Let's all stand. We're going to be closed in prayer here. Right?
Father in heaven, we do thank you for this night. Thank you, Lord, for a people so willing to listen. And oh, Lord, I do pray for us, Lord. Lord, would you help our thinking to be biblical, to be straight, uh, and to stand in the right place. Lord, we look to you and we love you, Lord. We know your way is best. We know your way is right. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you move in our hearts and lives and draw us into the place where you'd want us to be? Lord, may the doubts and the uh, hesitancies be be taken away. And Lord, may we see it as you do. And Lord, may we know what it is to uh, stand in the right place, uh, to be blessed ourselves, and to be used of you to help others too. And Lord, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.